Testing one, two. There we go. I don't understand it. Glitch in the system. I invite you to kneel with me. Let's have a, a word of prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this most holy Sabbath day. We thank you for uh, creating a day. Now, sometimes that's forgotten. But it is a day you created uh, to, to be used for holy uh, to be used for holiness. It's a sacred day. It's a day that we can rest from our labors and rest in your love and commune with angels from heaven and, and gain a blessing because you've made it a sacred day. You blessed it and you sanctified it for our edification. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for the Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and worship thee. And uh, we pray, Lord, for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with us, that we may worship Thee in spirit and in truth. We come before You, Lord, praising You from our hearts. We ask that You will forgive us our sins. And help us, Lord. Uh, help us to live the righteous uh, works of uh, the law through the, the blood of Christ and His grace that is given to us, that we may be holy people. Uh, for thou, Thou Word says that we are to be holy as Thou art holy. And we can't do this of ourselves. So we pray for the grace of Jesus. We pray for the Holy Spirit to abide in our hearts. And Lord, we lift up those on our prayer list. We lift up those who are sick and ill. We think of our daughter Andrea. She is ill today. We pray that You will bless her with a healing hand. Uh, we continue to pray for uh, Susan's cousin who's in the hospital. We pray for uh, Brenna's uh, niece, a little two-year-old who's in the hospital with pneumonia, we ask that you be very near to her, Lord. And, uh, be with us as a people. Be with us here in Lafayette as we uh, uh, seek to do Thy will in evangelism and uh, renovation of a building that um, we have the opportunity to have. And Lord, uh, may it be to Your honor and glory. And I pray humbly, Lord, that You give me the words to speak. We're studying about what the, your words has to say about the church, defining your people, essentially, and your church. Uh, may they be the words the congregation is to hear. Fill my, uh, my mind with the thoughts that you wish conveyed uh, to the people. And we thank you so much for Jesus, for his love and his decision. Uh, to become like one of us, to show us how to live a righteous life and to die a death we deserve so that we may have life. And that thought that uh, we read in Desire of Ages, uh, Jesus uh, didn't consider heaven to be heaven without us. It's an awesome thought. So Lord, help us to be the people you wish us to be. We pray humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. get a uh, drink of water here before I get started. But I have entitled this, uh, this study, I've entitled it, The City on a Hill. A lot of things happened here recently. You know, friends, I mentioned it earlier, we are living in the time just before the return of Jesus Christ. And inspiration tells us that it will be a very uh, tumultuous a time for the earth as, well, the inhabitants are making final preparations for either a life in Christ and for eternity or eternal death. And sad to say, many, many, the vast majority are choosing death. And I'll tell you that the rejection of life is a rejection of the life giver. And His mercy is being withdrawn uh, from the earth, well, even as I speak, because of this rejection. And as God's mercy is withdrawn, so is His protection. And we are seeing the results today, are we not? 
I'll remind you of something Jesus said in Matthew 24. He's giving the signs of the times, the signs that were uh, to happen, the uh, these things that were to happen before He was to return. Matthew 24, verse 7, He says, For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. In verse 8 He said, All these are the beginning of sorrows. Friends, those things are the beginning of sorrows. I have to ask you, are we not a witness to such things today? Are we not a witness to the beginning of sorrows? Have not such scenes of destruction and war and evil increased in our generation? Friends, I, I must tell you that if you're not preparing for life in Jesus, you're preparing for death. Are you ready for Jesus to come? With what transpired this week with the election in our country, do you fear for the future? Or do you see another step toward the return of our Savior? There are so many souls who are in fear and it falls upon us, the Lord's flock, His people, to be a guiding light to Christ. And this is the purpose of church organization. This is the whole purpose that God organizes His people is to shine the light of Jesus to the world. To be that city on a hill. I want to share something with you. It's from the Acts of the Apostles. Very beginning. Very first paragraph. Page 9, Acts of the Apostles. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. Let that sink in. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service. And its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning it has, it has been God's plan that through His church shall be reflected to the world His fullness and His sufficiency. Notice this part, this next sentence. The members of the church, those whom He has called out of darkness into His marvelous light, are to show forth His glory. That city on a hill. She says the church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places even to angels, friends, the final and full display of the love of God. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. God is preparing a people to reflect and be the final and full display of the love of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Are you aiding Christ in that work? The question that I've asked for the last few weeks is, who is the church of God? And so this series entitled, This is My Body, Defining God's Church, because we want to know who God's church is, we want to be a part of it, don't we? We want to have Jesus alive in our hearts. Weren't we called out of darkness by Christ? Have we not come into His marvelous light? If we are, we are to show forth His glory. 
So far in our studies, I've given ten aspects of the church of God. Oh, there are more. But, but these are the, what I found to be the, probably the most prominent characteristics of the true church of God. And all others build upon these or they fall within these attributes. Friends, it, it, it all comes together. See. Now these are not in any particular order, really. Um, and I don't want you to think that they are. Because they do build upon each other. They are uh, uh, tied together. And I'll cover them here quickly again. Uh, first, uh, the church will have the nature of Christ. <laughs> Which <laughs> it gets into our study for today. They will have the nature of Christ. And, and, and as you see, as we go through the other nine and, and any others that we come across, they all build upon that one, that first one. They're all character attributes of Christ Himself. Because remember what we found before, wherever Christ is, there is His church, you see. And Jesus left the temple and said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. It's because God was no longer there. And so wherever Christ is, there is His church. But, but the, the first aspect, and that's what we've got to understand, is God's church will have the nature of Christ. It will be humanity and divinity combined, or it will be uh, made up of born-again believers. Now, I'm going to get in to the wheat and the tares here pretty soon, and we'll, we'll discover. But I'm talking about, remember, there's only two churches. <laughs> there's only two sides in this conflict. Interesting enough, the book Upward Look, page 80, says this, says the Israel of God are those who are converted. Uh, number two, the church is a spiritual house with Christ as the head. It's not a man-made organizational uh, structure with a man at the head. Um, though there is proper gospel order. Now, I'm not saying that we're not to be an organized... We just read the church is God's appointed agency for the service. It was organized for service. We are to be organized, but Jesus is the head of that organization. It's not a hierarchy. And, 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 and when we get, to get through with, with some of these uh, uh, defining God's church, we'll get into some of the aspects of organization as a refresher because that's what is really holding back the gospel. We are disorderly. We need to understand what gospel order is. Uh, step three. Uh, the church is of the spiritual seed of Abraham, not of Ishmael. Okay? In other words, it's, it's covenant keeping. Abraham kept the covenant with God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. His faith was. And we are of that spiritual seed. All those who uh, are in Christ are of the seed of Abraham, not of Ishmael. His is a works program under the carnal heart. And by the way, you know, some of this talk about the 144,000, is it symbolic? Is it literal? Friends, the 144,000 is symbolic of the spiritual seed, not the literal seed. And uh, we may get into that study a little bit later on. But uh, I'll plant that in there. You study that out. Um, number four. The church is a light that leads the way to the head of the church, which is Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about here in this study. Number five. It will have the gifts and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you that this includes the testimony of Jesus, which Revelation 19.10 tells us is the spirit of prophecy. A sixth aspect or attribute. It stands upon the foundation of truth. Especially present truth. And what is our present truth for today? Isn't it the three angels' messages? Yes, it is. Seven, it will have the faith of Jesus or righteousness by faith. Which leads to number eight, they'll keep the law of God. All ten commandments. Again, the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant. And uh, number nine, it'll be a vibrant 
and it'll be a vibrant church living in Christ. It'll be a true fellowship of believers. And 10th, it'll have godly love and unity. And that last generation will be unified under Christ, friends. And it will give the final full display of the love of God to the world. Now this is the body of Christ. This is His church. This is the church that follows the Lamb wherever He goes, reflecting His light to all around. Our scripture reading today was Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. <laughs> a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The question for us is, are we hiding our light? If we're hiding our light, we better step back and take a look. Are we in the church? Do you know there are many cities in the world that were built on a hill or hills? As Protestants, we're, we're familiar with the seven hills of Rome and, and the prophetic role Rome plays in end-time events. We're, we're pretty familiar with that. But did you know that the city of San Francisco was originally built on seven hills? You know, it's rather interesting to look at the parallels between Rome and San Francisco, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, but that isn't my topic at this time. But uh, what I want to bring out about San Francisco, some of you may be familiar with the, the history of the San Francisco earthquake that happened in 1906. Now, I know there's been some since then, but 1906 was uh, uh, one of the most severe earthquakes that has ever been recorded in North America. It was the sure result, I will tell you, friends, of rejecting light from God and becoming a city of wickedness. In 1903, Ellen White penned these words. She said, San Francisco and Oakland are becoming as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord will visit them. Not far hence they will suffer under His judgments. That was written in 1903. You can find that uh, in Manuscript 30. It's also found in uh, uh, the book uh, Last Day Events, page 114. I want you to notice this. In September of 1902, a few months before the, this uh, first statement, she made this one. She said, Well-equipped tent meetings should be held in the large cities, such as San Francisco, for not long hence these cities will suffer under the judgments of God. San Francisco and Oakland are becoming as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord will visit them in wrath. Now that's from an article that was entitled Instruction Regarding Sanitarium Work, September 1st, 1902. You'll find it in uh, Manuscript Releases, Volume 10, uh, page 211. But I find it very, very interesting that she was calling for tent meetings in these cities, you see, to share the light with those who were inhabitants of those cities. Just as Jonah was sent to Nineveh to call the Ninevites to repentance. But in April of 1906, some three years later, a major earthquake struck San Francisco. And one of, most, one of the most awful things uh, uh, that happens in an earthquake is that fires break out. And in San Francisco, of course, the fire engines in 1906, they were going all over. And they were trying to put uh, water on these fires. And, and why, why were there fires all over town? Well, the reason is that uh, there, when the earthquake comes, as it did then and hit, it broke the gas pipes. And so you have this natural gas that's, that's spewing out of the ground all over town so that fires start, and then the people uh, start trying to spray water on the fire, and more and more fires kept breaking out. And so what is the, what's the answer to that kind of a problem? Should we get more fire engines and, and, and so we can put out the fire? You know, that's what we do as Christians. Think about that. We do that as Christians a lot of times. Has the devil started any fires in your life? Has he started any troubles? And so, it, it just seems like you could just spend your whole life and all your time trying to solve all these problems with your own solutions. And that happens in churches too. 
And it happens, well, it happens in ministries. It happens in families. It even happens in nations. <laughs> and we think if we can get enough fire engines and if we can get enough people pouring water on the fire that we can solve the problem. You know, after the flood, in Noah's time, after the flood, the world's solution was to build a great tower into the sky. But friends, the solution to our problems can't be worked out by us. The solution to our problems come from God. And I will tell you that Jesus is the solution to the problems that we have. Have you ever been stumbling around the house at night because the electricity went off? Have you ever uh, uh, bumped your shins or stubbed your toe or fallen over the furniture? What's the solution to, the, to a problem like that? Do you, you get a bigger room? Do you get more furniture? Turn the light on. <laughs> yeah, so the solution is to turn the light on. And that automatically solves all the stumbling, stubbing, and falling down problems right away. Well, you know. The solution to our dark problems is to turn the light on and to share that light with others so they will no longer stumble. The solution is to become a citizen of God's city on a hill. You know, Jesus talks about this very thing in the Bible. And we're going to have a Bible study here. Let's start with Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. Very interesting thing. It says, the mystery of the seven stars. Now, by the way, uh, some people see that word mystery, the English word mystery, in it, and it has a different meaning to us today than it really did then. It was something that was, was, was revealed to those who were of spiritual mind. It's just as Jesus said, they came and said, why do you speak in parables? And he said, it's for you to know. And that's what this implies when it says the mystery. The mystery is for us as God's people to know. We can understand it. But it's a mystery to those who are in darkness, to those who are not spiritually minded. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. It's interesting. It says, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now these candlesticks are, you know... Sometimes it's translated as lampstands, and, and uh, you look at the original, it's, that's closer uh, to the rendering. Uh, they're declared to represent the seven churches, and thus the whole church. Why is the church of Christ likened to a candlestick? Well, what was our scripture reading for today? You remember what Jesus said? He said to the church in Matthew 5, he starts out talking about it, our scripture reading, verse 14, he says to the church, ye are the light of the world. The church is to be the light of the world. And notice what he says in verse 16 about this light. Matthew 5, verse 16. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Remember what the definition for organizing the church was, what she said? She said, The members of the church, those whom He has called out of darkness into His marvelous light, are to show forth His glory. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, in Matthew 25, we have the story, verses, the first 13 verses there, Matthew 25, that Jesus told about the ten virgins. Five of these virgins, He said, were foolish, and five of the virgins were wise. What was the difference between the wise virgins, virgins and the foolish virgins? Other than being wise and foolish. Why were the foolish ones foolish? Right. The wise had oil in, in their vessels. And the foolish didn't have oil. They ran out. So the wise 
as a result of the oil they had in their vessels, they had light. And the others, their light had gone out. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And if that light goes out, friends, the parable of the ten virgins teaches that you will lose your eternal life. You have to have light. In fact, all the way through the New Testament, we find that Jesus and the apostles were constantly talking to Christians and they said, you are the light of the world. Paul said, you are the children of the light. What is this light? You have to have light. The parable of the ten virgins teaches that you must have light if you're going to be saved. Your light has to be burning. It has to be giving light to other people. What is this light? Well, we're going to look at uh, some Bible texts. Begin in the Gospel of John. The first chapter of John. He starts talking about this right away as soon as he starts writing. John does. John 1 and verse 4. Who's he talking about here? In John 1 verse 4. Well, he's talking about Jesus. And he says in verse 4, he says, In Him, that's Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And John, in describing Jesus, said, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. What is this light? It is the life of Jesus. And if you study His life and you understand what He is like, you can have light in your soul. Light in your heart. You have to have the nature of Christ, friends. And that's what His church has. As his nature, because he's the head. Look at what it says in verse 9. It's talking again about Jesus. John says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now that was the true light, and the disciples beheld this light. And this same writer, the Apostle John, toward the end of his life, in 1 John 1, notice what he says. 1 John chapter 1, verse Verse, uh, verse 5. He says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And notice, the light has to do with the truth then, doesn't it? And he says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So if we walk in the light, John's saying, as he is in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we will have fellowship with each other. And by the way, do we need fellowship? Yes, we do, don't we? There are many Christians who don't have much fellowship, mainly due to being scattered all over the place in small groups or as individuals. And there could be fellowship with one another if teachable spirits would prevail and, and, and we as God's scattered people would stop looking at each other and majoring on minors and faults we see in each other. Friends, we've got to look up to the light and we will have fellowship. As John says here, if you are walking in the light, you're going to have fellowship. You're going to have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, will cleanse you from all sin. So Jesus is the light. That is, His life is the light. And if you study His life, you'll receive light. And I'm talking about spiritual light. We kind of talked about this in our Sabbath school uh, study this morning. You remember the story of the Apostle uh, Paul when he was on his way to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And what was that light? 
What was that light that shined, that came from heaven, that shined all around Paul? It was the glory of Jesus. When it says that He is light, it's not just a figure of speech, friends. Look at what happened when the Apostle John saw Him when He was on the Isle of Patmos. This is right in the first chapter of Revelation 1, verse 16. It's a very fascinating verse, really. It's talking about Jesus. John the Revelator was looking at Him. He was looking at Jesus. It says in verse 16, And He had in His right hand seven stars, and out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and His countenance was as the sun shineth in His strength. His countenance, friends. This glory of Jesus, His countenance, is so bright that it says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that when Jesus comes again, the wicked will be destroyed from the brightness of His coming. So it includes physical light, doesn't it? It's not just spiritual, but it includes physical light. But when Jesus came to this world, if He had come like that, with the glory He had with the Father before the world began, if He had come with all of that glory, we could not have looked at it. And so that physical light was veiled. It was covered up so that you could not see it. The physical light was covered up so that you, you could see the spiritual light. You see. And when you study the life of Jesus, when you study His life, you find out what this spiritual light is. And when you become a Christian, the way you become a Christian is when you, you see what this spiritual light is and you're attracted to it. Now let's see what the, uh, the Apostle Paul said about this light that is shining from the face of Jesus. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and you look at verse 3, <clears throat> Paul says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul said, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, that was at the creation of the world. This same God has shown. He has put light inside of our hearts, in our minds so that we should give to other people the light that shines in the face of Jesus. Let me ask again. What is the light? The life of Jesus is the light. He is the light and we are to receive that light for Him. But I want to get much more specific. What is this light that is in the face of Jesus and it beams out from His face? What is that light? Paul says that there is a light that shines out from the face of Jesus. Now there is literal, physical light, but when He came to this world, He veiled, He covered that literal, physical light up. You remember, Moses went up to Sinai and when he, he met with God and he came down from Sinai, his face glowed. See? Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with the apostles. That light that was there it was a glow. Now that, that's a physical light. When He came to this world, He veiled. He covered that literal physical light up. It would kill us, friends, if we looked on this, His glory face to face. We couldn't stand it. So He covered the physical light up so we could see the spiritual light. And what is the spiritual light that shines in the face of Jesus? By the way, you know, thinking about this, the most important part of a person's body as far as, you know, this, this study about body language, <laughs> the most important part, and you can read this, most, 
important part of a person's body, as far as body language is concerned, is the face. And the most important part of the face is the eyes. You can tell more about what's on a person's mind by looking at their face than any other part of their body. And you can tell the most by looking in their eyes. And so this light shines forth from Jesus' face. And what is this spiritual light? Let's look at a few texts and see if we can figure it out. Let's go to John 5. Here's the man by the pool of Bethesda, if you'll remember. He's been sick for 38 years. And Jesus is walking by and, and there are all these sick people around. And as he, as he looks around, he sees one who is the worst case of all. It is this man right here. He's been sick, as it says, for 38 years. He's paralyzed. He can't get into the pool. And Jesus comes and he looks at this man. And here's what he says. Chapter 5 and verse 6. Notice what he says. He says, when Jesus saw him lie, he's lying there, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? When that man, looked in the face of Jesus, what did he see? Jesus was walking in. Here are all these people around the pool of Bethesda. They're all ill, but here's man. He's the, it's the worst case. The man can't even get to the pool. You remember the, the story was that the pool would start, uh, um, there would be a, a, a disturbance in the pool and people believed the angels were blessing them. If you could get to the pool, you'd be healed. And this man was there, but he, he was paralyzed. He couldn't get to the pool. And here's Jesus walking through and he stops, not at everybody else. He stops at this man. And he asks the man, wilt thou be made whole? Now, my question is, when that man looked up into the face of Jesus, what did he see? He saw somebody who wanted to help him. Why did Jesus want to help him? One of the clearest verses that I've ever studied in the Gospels that explains what this light is in, in the face of Jesus is found in Matthew 14. In, in verse 14. And this is the time shortly after John the Baptist had been killed. It was about a year before the crucifixion and great multitudes were coming to see Jesus. And it says there in Matthew 14 and 14, it says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And He healed their sick. What does it mean to be moved with compassion? Jesus had love in His heart for that paralyzed man there by the pool of Bethesda. And when this multitude came to him, he looked. You know, Jesus could read people's thoughts and, and he knew which people had which troubles. <laughs> and some of them were physically sick. Some were mentally sick. Some of them had financial difficulties. Some had troubles at home. Some of them were, were bereaved. They, they had all kinds of troubles just like people have today. And, and Jesus looked over this multitude of people and he saw what problems people had. And his heart was moved with compassion. So much so, it says, that he healed their sick. What did this man see in the face of Jesus as he lay there by the pool of Bethesda? He saw someone who cared. He saw someone who wanted to help. He saw someone who loved him. So what is this light that is in the face of Jesus? It's a love for people. Especially people who are in trouble. And you study the life of Jesus. He spent the bulk of His life helping people who are in trouble because He was moved with compassion at the sight of a human being who was in trouble. And that's why He worked miracles. <laughs> study the miracles that Jesus worked. Every one of those miracles was a revelation of that spiritual light that shone from the face of Jesus. Go back to the book of John. Well, we're in the book of John. Well, we were in Matthew. Go back to the book of John. Well, this time chapter 12. And notice what John says about this. John 12, verse 35. He says, Then Jesus said unto them, Ye, Yet a little while is the light with you. 
Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Because of these signs, friends, these miracles that he worked, they should have been able to figure out that, that they were seeing the light. But their eyes were blinded. And he goes on to say, uh, say that in verse 40. Their eyes were blinded. They could not see. And then notice what he says in verse 46. He's dropped down to verse 46. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. So what is the light that is in the face of Jesus? It is love for people especially for people who are lost and are in trouble. And friends, that's what it is. That's what the light is that shines from the face of Jesus. Now Paul says this light has shone into our hearts. What does that mean? What does that mean? If the light from Jesus shines into my heart, what is, it, what is that telling us? Well, I'm to reflect that same light. And what would it mean to, to reflect that same light? Remember, Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. What does it mean to be the light of the world? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But He also said to His followers, Ye are the light of the world. What does it mean to be the light of the world? Well, if we're going to be the light of the world, we must treat sinners the same way Jesus treated them. We must love people the same way Jesus loved people. Isn't that what Jesus said? They will know that you are my disciples because you love one another as I have loved thee. Now look at an example of this in John chapter 8. Back up to John 8. Again with verse 11. This is the woman who was taken in adultery. And it says in verse 11, She said, No man, Lord, he asked who to, who's accused you. No man, Lord, who's judged you. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. So he asked, Where are those who condemn thee? Who's condemned thee? And she said, No one. They've gone. <laughs> and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Darkness brings death, friends. Light brings life. What is the light? Well, he just demonstrated what it was. It is when you say, I don't condemn you for what you've done wrong, but go and live a different life. Go and sin no more. And immediately then, he said to his followers, I'm the light of the world. And this is what the light is. He was the light of the world to that woman. She was saved. She had been in the dark, but now she was in the light because the light of the world had passed by. And if that light shines into your heart, friends, and if that light shines into my heart, as we pass through this world in our families, in our work, wherever we are, as we pass by, people are going to see light. They're going to become enlightened because we were there. And when Jesus passed by, people were enlightened. They saw light. They saw the light of the world. And that light brings life. Let's look at some other aspects of that light so we can understand what it means to be the light of the world. You know, in Proverbs 6 and verse 23, it says, For the commandment is a lamp. And the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The law is what? The Bible says the law is light. And we know that Jesus says He is the light of the world. This is why we know in there are other inspired statements that say the Ten Commandments are the character traits of God. The law is light. Now, if Jesus is light, you would expect that His life would be a perfect example of keeping God's law. Was that the case? 
You remember Jesus said, I have kept my Father's commandments. You'll find that in John 15. I have kept my Father's commandments. Another time in John 8, he challenged the Jews. He said, which of you convicts me of sin? And sin is breaking God's law, isn't it? First John 3, 4 tells us that. And Jesus says, which of you convicts me of sin? And do you know what they said? They had nothing to say because he kept God's law and they knew it. Jesus' life was a perfect example of law-keeping because the law is light. And Jesus kept the law, not, not just legalistically, but He kept it from His heart because He's the light of the world. And Jesus revealed the principles upon which the law is based, the character traits. And remember the church. The church is to have the nature of Jesus. And one of the character traits is that they will keep the law of God. That's how they can be a light to the world. A city on a hill. You remember when the lawyer came and asked Jesus which was the great commandment in the law? This is recorded in Matthew 22. He said, which is the, the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It's verse 37. Matthew 22, verse 37. And he says, This is the first and great commandment. And he goes on, he says, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, many Christians just stop there. And they say, See? Ten Commandments have been done away with. We're just to love God and love each other. Love, 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 love. They don't know what kind of love they're talking about. Because Jesus clarified it. Verse 40, He said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What are the two principles on which the whole law and the prophets are based? What are they based on? You love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. The law is based on loving God supremely and loving your neighbor as yourself. That is why love for other people is what they saw in the face of Jesus. He veiled His physical glory so that you could see the reality of His character. One of the greatest mysteries of all the ages is how He did all that. But His physical glory and light was veiled so that you could see the spiritual reality of His character and that the, the bottom line, the foundation of all religion is to love God supremely and to love your neighbors yourself. That is what the law is based on. If you really love God supremely, you'll keep the first four commandments. The first four commandments define our relationship to God. If you love your neighbors yourself, you'll keep the last six commandments. They describe our relationship with each other. So what does it mean to be the light of the world? The world needs to know that the law is not darkness. The world needs to know that the law is light and it's life. And as we study the life of Christ, we see that if we want to be in the light, your life must be in harmony with God's law. Let's look at something else that is light. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So Peter says we have something, and it's, and it, it's like a light in a dark place. And this world today is described in the Bible as a place that is dark. Notice what Isaiah said in Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. Isaiah said, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. 
a city set on a hill cannot be hid. What is this light? What is this light that we're reading here that Peter's talking about? It is the light of prophecy. Bible prophecy is a light. And when you study Bible prophecy, you're understanding spiritual light. You understand the meaning of the times in which you live. And what are the times in which we live? Friends, we're living in what the Bible calls the time of the end. The end of this world as we know it is very, very near. And there are people all over this city here. There are people all over around where you live who don't know that. They are in the dark. We're very close to the end of time. Very close to the end of this world as we know it. We have that light from Bible prophecy. Was Jesus a prophet? Yes, Jesus was a prophet. He was the greatest of all prophets. He's the light of the world. All prophecy comes from Him. In fact, the very first verse in Revelation says that prophecy came through Jesus. God gave it to Him. He gave it to His angel. And the angel gave it to the servant John. It comes directly from Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world. And prophecy is part of this light. And we found that the law is light. And Jesus' life was a perfect example of law keeping. Prophecy is light. And if you understand Bible prophecy, then you are in the light. You understand the light. You understand why we are here. You understand what we are doing, where we are in the stream of time, what is just about to happen. And if I know something and you do not know it and I'm to be the light of the world, what is my responsibility or obligation? I need to some way communicate it to you because if I don't communicate it, the light to you, what could happen to you? You could be lost. And the church of God is to be the city on a hill that gives the light of Christ in all its spiritual aspects to the world. Beloved, there are people all around us, people who you know, and they are in the dark. They don't know that the world is just about to end. They are not ready for the end of the world. In the book of Revelation, it tells what has to happen for people to be ready for the end of the world. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They have to be in the congregation of the saints who are described as those who keep the commandments. And they have the faith of Jesus. Righteousness by faith. Revelation 22.14 Blessed are they that do His commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city at New Jerusalem. People in the last days who are ready for the end of the world are people who are walking in the light. They are people who have the light. And how are they living? They are living in harmony with God's law because it's a transcript of His character. And He's alive in their hearts. They are in the light. Remember, the law is light. And Jesus kept it. And there are people all around us in the dark. And if they, they don't get into the light and live according to the light, they are going to lose their soul. They're going to lose eternal life. And the church of God is a light to the world, friends. And it will have compassion on those who are in darkness. And the church will, is to share that light of Jesus with them. It is to be, and it is, that city on a hill that cannot be hid. A church that is not sharing the present truth light is a church of Antichrist. Now remember, one of the other attributes is 
that it, it stands, it's the pillar and the foundation of truth. It's not going to be giving a false light. It's not going to be denying light in a court of law, denying the present truth of the three angels' messages. That is not the church of God. The church of God will be proclaiming it, no matter if it's in court or out of court around the world. It'll be sharing this light. Now whether the people that are in darkness, whether they, they want to walk in the light, that's up to them. But we have an obligation to see to it that they see the light of Jesus reflected in our own life in our shared uh, testimony. I mean, the Bible does say that the vast majority will not heed the light, but that's not our responsibility. We are to shine the light regardless of the choices others make. If you have Jesus in your heart and you're abiding with Jesus, your light will shine. <laughs> Noah let his light shine. Not very many people decided to walk in the light, but Noah saved his own soul and the souls of his family. And look what it says here in Ezekiel 3. The Lord spoke to his prophet and it says here in Ezekiel 3, we're familiar with this, friends. Verse 17, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked... And he turned not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Oh, friends. What are you doing? And what am I doing to let our light shine? Are we really the light of the world, or have we taken the light and put a bushel basket over it so people cannot see? The end is near. The end of the world is near. We must allow the world to know and to hear what is about to happen. And when you become a Christian, if you choose to follow Christ and committed your life to Him, you promised when you became a Christian that you would follow Him, that He would be your only Lord and Master. And He also made promises to you. What does the Lord promise to people who choose to follow Him? Well, first of all, He promises to be with you. Remember, Jesus said before He left, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And not only that, He promised to bless you. And not only that, He promised to refresh with His light and give you His peace and to make your heart joyful in His service. In 1906, San Francisco suffered the wrath of God and the light that they shone to the world were those from the fires that burned the city to the ground. Their light was that of destruction. The church of God is a city on a hill that shines the light of Jesus to the world by reflecting His love and His character in all they think and say and do. Because they are a part of His body. Do you want to be a member of God's city on the hill? Do you want to be a member of His body? Accept Jesus as your Lord. Accept Jesus as your Savior. And let your light shine, friends. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for Jesus. We thank you so much for your manifold blessings toward us and allowing Jesus to come. We thank Jesus for choosing to come. We thank You for Your love in sending Him. The Bible says, for You so loved the world that You gave, that whosoever believeth in Jesus shall not perish. Jesus is the light of the world and He promises to impart that light within our hearts and minds. We ask for that now. Please forgive us our sins. And Lord, fill us with grace 
Share your grace with us as we walk day by day, that we walk in the light and darkness is removed from us. May we be that city on a hill. May people be attracted to the light of Jesus as they see us. We thank you for hearing this as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.